Copyright disclaimer under section 107 of the Copyright Act 1976. Allowance is made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, education and research. Yes, women workers do present problems, Joe. It's tough, I know, but there are thousands of others, just like you all over the country, facing the same problems. Pretty generally, you'll all find about the same answers. Let's see. Most of them are working on their first industrial jobs, Joe. It's a totally unfamiliar world. You see, they're not naturally familiar with mechanical principles nor machines. On the other hand, if a span flam is wanted, that single right-handed providing the pressing puncture is adjusted to the conch front of 37 and 2 eighths. Is that clear? I know, Joe. When uh, breaking in any new worker, and uh, of course, especially a woman, You've got to explain every angle of the process down to the last detail. And since most of them lack mechanical background, you, you've got to study every job and subdivide it into simple operating steps. Women workers don't mind routine repetitive work and they're particularly good on work that requires high finger dexterity or an unusual sense of accuracy. Mary, you're supposed to wear a cap when working near a drill press. Well, why pick on me? The other girls aren't wearing their caps. Look, the rule book says wear a safety cap. So put your cap on. There. Mary, your hair was just about two inches away from the spill chuck. Now that's why we asked you to wear a cap so that your hair don't get caught. Oh, gee, I... You see, rules are here to protect you and the other girls working around you. Oh, gee, I saw some of the other girls and they weren't wearing any That's caps. right, but they're not working with machines. They just sit at the bench and assemble things. Nothing dangerous to them or the people nearby. You know, I never thought of it that way before. You have your cap with you, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I get it. A foreman will always have the eternal feminine to contend with, Joe. Ah, yes. The eternal feminine. Or, as we refer to it today, dumb bitch. Honestly, when I see clips from the 1940s, it's no surprise why mental health awareness started in 1949. I mean, okay, the term emotional intelligence didn't really hit the mainstream until 1990, when Peter Solovey and John Mayer released their research on the subject, but it was first introduced in 1985 in a doctoral dissertation of Wayne Leon Payne, or Wayne Payne as he's known on the streets. It was titled A Study of Emotion, Developing Emotional Intelligence. Today, the term is thrown around all the time, but what does it really mean? The modern definition is a form of social intelligence that involves the ability to monitor one's own and others' feelings and emotions, to discriminate among them, meaning that they apply logic, and to use this information to guide one's thinking and action. 
So, I guess Aristotle was right. Knowing yourself really is the beginning of all wisdom. Hello! My name is Gabe Ryan, and welcome to the very first episode of the Very Intentional Podcast for Very Intentional People, the podcast from Iconic Media Design about being intentional in the life of your business and the business of your life. I don't know about you, but it feels like 2022. No? Okay. Uh... Seriously, though, I hope you had the happiest of holidays and a very Merry Christmas. But if you're like me, which I hope for your sake is a limited quality at most, then this time of year always brings a melancholy feeling. Eh, like, just like I could be doing better. Well, this podcast is the remedy to that feeling, because the only thing keeping us from where we want to be is determined intention to get there. If you're here, it's obviously because you intended to be. I hope that you chose it. If not, I apologize. And even though you intended to be here, and you might intend to be here next week, it's always good to have a reminder, so make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Really, it's a great option in case you don't want to watch or prefer to listen to this kind of content in transit or wherever you like, really. I'm not going to pretend to know you. But I'm not going to pretend that I wouldn't like to know you. Damn. That sounded a lot creepier out loud. Uh, But I would like to get to know who is showing up, and and you can introduce yourself in the comment section, or you can send us an email. Uh, Our email address is VIP, the number 4, VIP, at iconicmedia.design. Or you can even leave us a voicemail which you can do on the VIP for VIP page on Anchor at www.anchor.fm slash VIP, the number four, VIP. And, (laughs) I know. But wait, there's more. You can find all of that and more on our official home on the web at iconicmedia.design slash VIP, the number four, VIP. This episode is a bit more relaxed and introductory, but anything that we're going to be learning about or talking about will be available there, along with links to any supplementary resources or complementary media, like the videos inserted throughout each episode. Again, our website has no.com at the end. It's www.iconicmedia.design slash VIP, the number four VIP. Now that we've gotten through all of what I can only assume in the near future will become monotonous announcements, I'd like to take this episode to introduce myself by uh, just sharing a little bit of my story. Not just of my life, but of my business. Eh? Eh? You get it? You see where we're going with all of this? (laughs) Part of the reason that I do what I do is because I know there are people out there just like me. Or really similar, at least. And 
as you'll hear in my story, there were times I wished I had someone who was closer to who I am now, but back then. As I said a moment ago, my name is Gabe Bryan, and in addition to being the host of this podcast, I'm the owner of Iconic Media Design. We're a full-service media production and brand development agency that produces not only this podcast, but a bunch of different media uh, for a bunch of different things. Really, it's just a conglomeration of skills that I developed while I was pursuing my first love, which is music. As some of you know, I was the front fan. I was the front. <laughs> sorry, I was the front man for the pop punk project, The Plot Twist. And even fewer, if any, will remember, furthermore, my first band of the Christian rock variety, naturally, uh, that I had started in middle school with some friends from a traveling puppet group that I was a part of, which is another story for another time that I really don't want to talk about. Okay, but <laughs> as you can probably imagine, um, money wasn't a big or consistent part of life. If you've ever pursued music, you know that it's not really a recipe for success, though it doesn't take a rocket scientist to take an educated guess on that one. But I was passionately determined to give it my best shot. So when it came to taking photos or designing posters and merch or editing tour videos or designing our website, or I think you get the picture, uh, but whenever we ran into the roadblock of not being able to afford whatever it is that we needed, to hire out, as other bands are privy to, I took it upon myself to figure out how to do it. Not to mention the words that Furthermore's lead guitarist dad told me. One snowy night following one of our Christmas shows, he said, If you were as good at singing as you are at getting people to come watch you sing, you'd probably be somewhere by now. Ouch. <laughs> right? I mean, it didn't really hurt, it doesn't hurt now. I'll be fine. Because I knew that he wasn't really talking about my singing, he was trying to compliment the marketing. And while the man was almost infamous for saying things overly bluntly, that didn't really hurt, <laughs> you know? Um, because the skills that I had. Marketing has always been kind of just like a natural talent, I guess you could say. Uh, but it wasn't until Furthermore ended in 2012 that I realized that everything that I had learned to build the band could be utilized to build a brand. Essentially, that's what I did create. A band is a brand, really. In fifth grade, I had convinced some school friends of mine who were particularly artistic to do the heavy lifting sorry, Ashley and Emily, um, in what was my first entrepreneurial endeavor, Creative Works, we called it. St. Titus School's premier retailer of custom-made calendars, bookmarks, and other expressive school supplies. And it came together, I guess, for me in a way that I could do the same with what I had learned because now I could do all of the heavy lifting. Again, thank you, Ashley and Emily. Two things I readily tell people is that, number one, I'm a quotes guy, love a good quote, and number two, I failed math twice. I was young and overzealous and failed to handle my money properly and ended up getting a bit of a bad name for myself just in time to put it all behind me when I started the plot twist with a few friends in a church bathroom. My skills were sharpened during the plot twist years 
But when it found itself no more, my mental health kind of plummeted. So I packed up my stuff and moved home to get my mind back in order. And I'm happy to say that today I finally feel familiar feelings again in terms of having an unwavering hope for tomorrow, really. Over the course of what's been a short music career, I've found myself in the midst of some amazing opportunities. And those opportunities have really solidified my belief in the opportunity that is still out there for both independent artists and small business owners alike. But it's been a bit of a journey, although it's the journey that's really shown me the importance of emotional intelligence. As somebody who suffers from ADHD and borderline personality disorder, I've really come to understand how vital it is to be able to know yourself and be able to read others to be able to adapt quickly. Growing up, I was the kid that carried on conversations with adults at a young age. I was able to pick up on social cues earlier than most, and I feel like I'm forgetting some. Oh, I was gay. Am gay. <laughs> Ironically enough, for the small town I live in, my high school experience was great. It was my elementary years that weren't the greatest, but it wasn't because I was gay. It was just my emotional intelligence kind of kept me from making real friends. I was the class clown that everyone loved, but I was also the kid that you never remembered to invite to your birthday party. So there's a reason for me gravitating towards adults more than my peers. And now that I am an adult, I'm extremely grateful for my emotional intelligence, but I never really thought to be grateful for it growing up because I had assumed the sense I had was more common than it is. You know, when you think you're just like everyone else, and everyone else is just like you. I remember some time ago now trying to figure out the reason for my positive abnormality. I read the definition over and over again to get it in the forefront of my mind, and then I went to work trying to pinpoint my earliest memory of analyzing my feelings and or the feelings of others. You see where this is going? In 2020, John McMahon published a paper that concluded that because emotionality is believed to be a feminine response, a masculine identity is established by restricting such expression, and that because homosexual men's relationship to femininity, that's the polite way of saying because gays aren't little pansies about being little pansies, that gay men are far more intelligent generally. But not being fearful doesn't really instigate the intelligence. It just creates an environment for it to be possible, in my opinion, based on my own experience solely. I think the reason is because we have an increased self-awareness from realizing that we're different at such a young age, and the experience we gain over the years of trying to figure out how to fit in despite that difference. Adaptation. Also in 2020, a global pandemic that caused disruption in every industry in every country, you remember? Hard to forget. And though we're not out of it yet, one of the biggest lessons it's taught us is how important adaptability really is to our survival. Actually, it's the determining factor of our survival. So why were so many unprepared for something like this? Why were we out of toilet paper so quickly and for so long? The answer can be found in a marshmallow. Or two marshmallows, I guess. 
Now maybe some of you have seen the marshmallow test before, but it's an actual science experiment. In 1972, Walter Michel, a professor at Stanford University, created the marshmallow experiment in his studying of delayed gratification, and he concluded that, well, watch the tape. Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. Oh, it smells really So it's up to you. You can have it now or you can wait. Okay? I'll be back. Stay in the chair, okay? Okay. So I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> one tiny bite of marshmallow for kids, one negative indicator for adults. <laughs> the answer to why no one is easily adaptable is because we just want our marshmallow now. I want it that way. Now, a pandemic historically happens infrequently, but how many roadblocks have you run into lately and you still haven't gotten past them? Tell me why. By and large, we're far too nearsighted. 
it's to the point that it actually prevents us from living the life that we want to live. As I recall my own childhood, the only thing I can surmise is that I tried. And while some, particularly the ones who don't want to put in the extra effort, will be quick to point out that the difference is that I succeeded, I can tell you that I only succeeded because I didn't give up. I was resilient and steadfast because my passion remained focused to the point that I could see not only the possibilities in front of me, but the probability of my hopes and dreams. That's the difference. Everyone lives intentionally. They just tend to always take the easy road, the road with just one marshmallow. But as an adult, I can tell you that not giving up is much more worth it. <laughs> but dealing with the breakup of the plot twist was, for lack of a better term, a big plot twist in my life. And despite learning the lesson of delayed gratification and having a hyper-awareness of myself, I sat there in a therapist's office lamenting and wondering what my problem was. Part of my problem was that while everyone left, no one told me why. Or if they did, it was clearly a cover for a different reason or an incomplete reason at best. I was humble enough to come to terms with the fact that I was the problem, but when I collected up all my memories and played them over again, so many were focused on helping others and bettering myself that I was unsure of what led to their decisions. They are referring mostly to the members of the band, but there were others that weren't with the band that had similar parting scenarios. And that's why it's so important to have friends. Real friends. Which I define as peers with permission. They help you illuminate the aspects of yourself that your perspective tends to overlook. I mean, I know I've done more than just help others and better myself, but... That's all I was bringing forward in my memory, you know? We like to remember the better parts of ourselves, not the problem areas that we don't even like to really admit. Now, what I mean by peers with permissions is that friends are able to speak freely, and sometimes bluntly, well, enough to be able to confront you about your problematic or toxic behavior before it negatively impacts your life and or the lives of everyone around you. And the thing I need to remind you of last in those regards is the piece of the puzzle I had been missing. Sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And that was my issue. That's what I had done, or failed to do, I suppose. I was cavalier about how I communicated. During the plot twist years, which I kind of glazed over in the story, if you didn't notice, one of the mantras that I tried to instill in everyone was that being in a band is 50% friendship and 50% business. And if one side suffers, it will pull the other down with it. Meaning, if you're a shitty person to work with, then the business, which bands are generally predicated on the idea that we like each other, will suffer. Likewise, if you're unable to uphold your obligations to the group in terms of business needs and contribution, then it causes resentment in the friendship, as the rest of the group has to put forth more effort for someone who doesn't care about them enough to put forth what they already had. 
Now, that's not to say that we weren't happy to help if people needed it. If you were short on something because life happened and you weren't fully prepared, no problem. Because friends help each other out like that. But during those years, one of our members had not only fell on some hard times, but didn't really put the required effort into getting through it to the point that when it came to releasing our second record, High Tides and Low Lives, the whole period would have been slightly before the first single was released because our we recorded and released resolutions knowing that it would be on the future record and then we ended up re-recording it um, to make a couple of little tweaks when we did High Tides and Low Lives, though nothing was really different musically, but I digress. It was the recording of the single, recording and manufacturing of the record, and then a few different marketing and digital distribution agreements and whatnot that made up what we had divided among us. And while everyone else was putting forth close to quadruple digits, the person's contribution was $20. And to say that that was frustrating is a bit of an understatement. As the SATs would say, the best word to describe the way it made us feel is resentful. So we sat them down and informed them that we would be parting ways, but more importantly, why? So that they understood not only why we had to do it, but so that we could also emphasize that the main hope and goal was that certain behaviors would be changed and we could have them back in the group in the future or if that wasn't in the cards, that they knew that we cared more about them as a person than them as a bandmate to allow this to continue past the point of no return, at which time neither of us would care enough about the other to lend insight into our own negative attributes that led to this said outcome. And that's why I was hurt so badly and confused when the band broke up because nobody cared enough about me to extend the same courtesy of sitting me down, explaining what and why, so I can figure out how to change to not only better the relationships with my bandmates, but to improve me overall as a person. But as time has passed, and I've really taken the time to analyze what little indication I had from the others alongside my recollection and subsequent deconstruction of past events, I've come to realize that it wasn't really what I did to them, it was more in my overzealous pursuit of our common goal. Knowing my above average gift with branding and marketing, I did whatever was necessary at whatever the cost. Not to say that I was overextending in terms of finances, but I was very much an act now, think later type of gal. And that led me to being aggressive and vicious in discussions that were once inspiring and filled with creativity and collaboration. I was extremely proud of the difference in musicianship between our albums You've Gotta Start Somewhere and High Tides and Low Lives. On the first album, out of the four of us, two had never been in a band before, and one had just picked up drums. And of the two newbies, one didn't know a lick of music or how to play the instrument. So the first album, I wrote a majority of, right down to some of the drum beats and fills, and then taught them how to play it, and that's what we did. But the second record, I had very little input beyond the lyrics, to the point that we had a couple arguments about my overall investment into the writing of the album, despite the fact that I was singing and contributed all of the lyrics that were coming out of my mouth, but I digress. 
My point is that while I had put intention into delegating the creative responsibilities, I had failed to delegate the behind-the-scenes work that makes a band function. I knew that I was the best suited for the tasks, and despite the inability to perform them all to the standard that I had set for us, I refused to give up the reins, and in doing so begrudged and belittled the people closest to me to maintain a ship that was only sinking from holes I had made. Part of my mental health journey has been coming to terms with how I left Iconic Media Design. It was one of the very few times in my life that I would consider what I did giving up. But that's the thing about these marshmallows, you know, and life, really. Life is what happens when you're making other plans, I've heard. And just like not intending to be in the life that you're in right now is what led you to the life you're in right now, sometimes we manifest things unintentionally. As I discussed the various name options for the plot twist with those friends in that bathroom, I would have never guessed that we were aptly naming something that would serve as the very thing it was named to everyone involved. A plot twist. None of us are the same people we were in the band, for better or worse, but that's kind of the point to all of this, all of my life. Through the power of intentional action, we can rewrite our stories, give ourselves a plot twist. Or we can choose to take the marshmallow now, and when life inevitably delivers a plot twist, well, good luck to whoever that turns you into. Perhaps in a future episode we can talk about how I was arrested with a gun before I was able to get the help that I needed. But suffice it to say, if you are relating to me or the me I used to be, right now you have the opportunity to avoid any outcome similar to that. By no means am I saying it would come to something like that, but it could very well come to something like that. As for me, I'm turning my intentions towards making iconic media design a household name. Something I've learned with age. I cannot believe I just said that. But I've learned that a difference is only a deficiency if you let it be one. Not only have I learned a great deal about financial planning, I now rely on the skills of others to help me maintain the financial aspects of my business. And I'm no longer allowing myself to be so focused on the destination that I lose everyone along the journey. I'm choosing to care more about my team and my clients than I do about what they do for me or we do for them. And in all honesty, that's where Iconic Media Design started to begin with. My business is taking responsibility for the excess necessities that brands need to focus on to be successful in today's economy so that the business owners can focus on what they do. Why? Because I know what it's like to run yourself ragged to the point that you can't even do the one thing that isn't just what you wanted to do, but is the best thing society could receive from you. Because of the ever-growing laundry list of responsibilities that come with entrepreneurship in this modern digital age, like maintaining social media and overall online presence, keeping up consistent communications with your consumers or supporters, all of that good stuff. Any good business owner will tell you that part of the job is, in the words of one of the great philosophers of our generation, Kenny Rogers, you gotta know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. 
And what I mean is what makes a good business person a good business person is their ability to really invest in their strengths and outsource their weaknesses for the strength of the whole. Socrates once said, The tongue of the fool is the key of his counsel, which in a wise man wisdom hath in keeping. I know, kind of old English. But do we have wisdom in the counsel we keep or seek? Let me be unmistakably clear. If you are not intentionally taking care of your mental health, you are not keeping wise counsel. And one of my latest mantras is, if you're not changing it, you're choosing it. So again, to be blunt, if you're not actively seeking to improve your mental health, you are choosing to have bad mental health, or at the very least, the risk of bad mental health. And while you may have people on your team that help you stay the course, you are the one in the driver's seat. And if they even just feel as if they need permission to be as open and honest with you as you were hoping they would be, and you don't give them permission, they won't be. Friends make amazing mirrors, but friends are peers with permission. So make sure you're giving permission if you want to have friends with benefits or benefit of keeping you accountable. Get your mind out of the gutter. But if you see mine down there too, can you grab it? The good news is that through direct and clear communication, not only can you ensure that they will be to whatever extent you need them to be, you'll also establish trust that will help to nurture your overall relationship with them and also the overall health of the group relationship. I used to be the kind of person who didn't put much stock in the testimony of those with depression and anxiety, but it's a dangerous position to believe that your world is the world. Just because you haven't experienced something doesn't mean it doesn't exist, nor does it give you the right to discount the experiences of others because of a lack of your own experience on the subject? And as a person with above-average emotional intelligence who recently found themselves in a battle with both depression and anxiety, they really do go hand-in-hand, hand, especially in the cozy seasons. Am I right, ladies? I can assure you that being aware doesn't mean a thing if you're not in control of the sick brain that you're aware of. And I do know that it's much easier to prevent fires than to put them out. So put intention into your mental health because you can't expect those you lead to show up as their best self if you're not willing to do the same. In today's world, there are a plethora of different organizations out there to cater to your needs. So there's really no excuse. Now, despite the obvious need to thoroughly research what option is best for you before making a decision, I'd be remiss if I failed to emphasize the importance of what you're looking into. In 2018, and recently coming up again, BetterHelp, the remote therapy company, faced accusations of not delivering on their advertised benefits in a variety of different ways. Not only are there other companies out there that you can take advantage of if remote is of interest, but I have to say that some is better than none. As long as the person you're speaking to is qualified, even half-assed therapy can be life-changing. Again, that's not to say it's condonable, so do your due diligence, and if you need help and you don't have someone in your life that you can trust with helping with a decision like this, you can reach out to me via email at g.ryan at iconicmedia.design. 
I in no way, shape, or form am insinuating or guaranteeing any outcome or result, but I will share my experience and knowledge along with additional resources that might be of help in making the most informed decision possible. And not to say don't waste my time, but if you do have someone in your life to lean on with such a sensitive subject such as therapy, I urge you to make that the primary option. Regardless of what you believe in terms of spirituality or religion, one of the most common themes in almost all beliefs, to the point that it's been widely adopted secularly, is that of karma, or the idea that you reap what you sow. Another way of looking at it is that you get out what you put into something. So I firmly believe if you take the steps in your life to become a better you, life will reciprocate the effort. Well, that is our show for this week. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time to give us a chance. We'd love to hear what you thought, and we'd love to have you back next week. So if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to our channel. Not only will that gain you more episodes of our show, but a variety of free resources and training material, all free for you. Uh, Also, don't forget to ring that bell. I think it's right here. Ring that bell to make sure that you know when you got free stuff you know, like that for incentive eh? Eh? and remember you can get more from this episode on our website at www.iconicmedia.design slash VIP the number 4 VIP and if you'd like to have us as a regular part of your day connect with us on social media at iconicmedia.design on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter my name is Gabe Ryan thanks again for joining me I'll see you next week Same time, same place. Until then, from one VIP to another, do what you do and make it iconic.